today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. To death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Put to death. Crucify the flesh. Take up your cross. All these different expressions, a reminder to us that in this conflict, we must do our part. The power of God at work in us, and then we ourselves crucifying the flesh and dying to self daily, taking up our cross to be more conformed to the image of Christ. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Galatians. You can't allow any remnant of your sinful nature to remain. There are times when salvation brings with it an immediate freedom from a specific temptation. But more often than not, it simply brings awareness to those areas of weakness. As Pastor Gary explains in today's message, as much as we'd love for those sins to simply go away, it often takes years of strategic praying, accountability, and Holy Spirit intervention to conquer those inner demons. But it's totally worth it to partake in the joy and freedom that God desires for you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Galatians chapter 5 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. variety of gifts and God distributes the gifts as he determines and you might have one gift and not necessarily another the fruit of the spirit is different it is singular so instead of seeing it as like a basket of different varieties of fruit see it as a single cluster like a cluster of grapes and some have also believed that what is written here is descriptive of the first word which is love and then the other eight words identify the true meaning of love so I, I don't know if, you, if, if that's true, if it's just this, you know, the idea that it's really a description of love and then all those other words describe love or it is, if it is singular because it is to be seen as one lump. In other words, don't, as we read the list, you'll see this, don't say to yourself, well, I, I have um, kindness, but I don't have patience, but that's okay. You know, it's, it's not, we, we, should, we should say, Lord, I want all the fruit of the Spirit to be demonstrated in my life as one sum total cluster here. So here, here's the list. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. By the way, that's the word agape love, agape, the supreme highest kind of love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's a good list. He says, against such things there is no law. In other words, there's no law that would prohibit you from being a loving person or a gentle person or a kind person. But in addition, there's no law that exceeds these things. And he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus, verse 24, have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. 
See, he, he, there's a call to action right there. I'm going to summarize this in a minute. Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So, because I started out by saying we're, we're no longer under the legal obligation of the law in terms of it helping us to get to heaven, we are still under the moral obligation of the law. Nevertheless, we're free. We just can't use our freedom to indulge the sinful nature. So, liberty comes with responsibility. How then, what is the prescription for responsible Christian living? I'm going to summarize this section that we just read here between verses 16 and 26. What is the prescription for responsible Christian living? I think the first thing is to recognize the battle exists between your flesh otherwise called the sinful nature, and the spirit within. That's verse 17. If you don't recognize the battle, you're already going to be defeated by it. I mean, half the battle is recognizing that you're in one. Okay, there is a real battle, and it will not go away until you go to be with Jesus and you lose this body of flesh. It just will not stop. I, years ago, I was doing a, a conference at, a, uh, at another church for their men's ministry, uh, I was a speaker at, for their men's conference, and uh, there was a Q&A time at the end of, of the conference, and so I'm up there, and, and again, it's all men, and this one guy, 20-something, uh, raised his hand, and I called on him, and he said, I just, I kind of want to know, do, does the whole sexual temptation thing get better uh, the older you get? And I kind of took offense at it, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, okay. Because in my head, I'm thinking, you know, old guy, why don't you tell us, old guy, does it get better? And then before I could even answer, there was a guy in the back who raised his hand. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. This guy was probably 80 to 85 years of age. And he raised his hand, and I, and I, and I called on him. He goes, I, he gets up, he goes, I can answer that question. It took him a while to get up out of his seat. I said, all right, sir, go ahead. Because I'm, I'm thinking, like, I'm off the hook. Go ahead. You answer it. Plus, you're older than I am, so go for it. And the guy says, it never gets better. And then he sits down. <laughs> and there was like this dead silence in the room. And I was just, you know, the first thing I thought was, this sounds so depressing. And then the second thing I thought was, you dirty old man. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what I thought. But the guy spoke truth. The guy spoke truth because at some point we need to realize that the battle does not end until we lose this body of flesh and then we get a glorified body and we're with the Lord and then there's not that conflict. Until that time, there's going to be this war against your soul. And Paul writes about it not just here in Galatians. He talks about the members of my body warred against itself. This is a battle that we're in. So we have to recognize the battle every day. You let your guard down on the battle, you're going to take a bullet. You got to be constantly on your guard, constantly aware. And there are basically three things that work in concert against you the world, your flesh, and the devil. Those things are constantly working in concert against you to defeat you, to discourage you, to tempt you, to lead you astray. So we're in a battle. And this particular context is the battle of our own flesh. So forget for the moment the world and the devil, just our own flesh is bad enough. So recognize the battle. The second thing, then, he says at the beginning of the section, in verse 16, is live by the Spirit. In other words, rely on the Spirit's power. That, that we have to recognize. And, and Paul even says in Romans 8, verse 11, he says, The very power that raised Jesus from the dead is within you by His Spirit. The same Spirit of God that 
powerfully stooped down and opened up a tomb and gave life to the body of Jesus and raised him from the dead, that same spirit is within you as a believer. So you're not alone. You're not alone in this conflict. This is not just about exercising your will, though that's part of it. It is making a decision. But it is also relying on the power of the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead that is active and working in your life. You're not left without power, without help, because God is working within you to help you in this battle. But the third thing we see here, and this part is on us also, is to crucify the flesh, the acts of the sinful nature. That's what he says there in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, to take up your cross daily and follow him. The cross was a symbol of suffering and death. I know we've made it into beautiful jewelry these days. And I know know, know, some of you ladies and even guys can wear a a cross around their neck. But understand, I I know what it means in terms of like our faith. It's like, oh, the, the cross is empty and Jesus rose from the dead. But you have to understand, I mean, it, it would be the equivalent of like, in our modern terms, like carrying a small little picture of a, uh, an electric chair around your neck. Who would do that? Or a hypodermic needle, you know, a lethal injection. What's that around your neck? That's oh, a hypodermic needle. Why is that? Uh, it's because that's the form of execution today. <laughs> that isn't going to sell, friends. That isn't going to sell. So what you really have around your neck is a, is a picture of death. So when Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, I want you to take up your cross, you know, don't look at your pretty jewelry and go, oh, that's so sweet. No, it's pick up your cross. In other words, crucify the flesh. Please note the word, crucify the flesh. Do not make concession for your flesh. Paul says, I make no provision for the flesh, for the flesh to gratify the lust thereof. We can't make any provision for it. We can't coddle it. We can't try to rehabilitate it. We can't make allowances for it. We must put it to death. And there is a dying to self and a dying to our flesh that we must deliberately, intentionally exercise every day of our lives. I got to die to this. I can't allow this to rule. It wants to rule. I can't, I can't allow it. I'm dying to this. And you have to put maybe certain safeguards in place to make sure you die to it. You have to exercise certain things that might starve it in order to put it to death. But Paul will say even a few letters over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Put to death, crucify the flesh, take up your cross. All these different expressions, a reminder to us that in this conflict, we must do our part the power of God at work in us, and then we ourselves crucifying the flesh and dying to self daily, taking up our cross to be more conformed to the image of Christ. And then fourthly, he talks about keeping in step with the Spirit. That's verse 25. And you will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Look, a tree doesn't have to be coached to produce fruit. It just does. An apple tree produces fruit because it was planted as a seed and then it grew up to maturity, and then it bears fruit, and it does it very naturally. When you press into Jesus more and more, and you determine to walk in the Spirit and to not gratify the desires of the flesh, you will naturally produce the fruit of the Spirit. 
So walk in step with God's spirit. Crucify the flesh. Rely on that power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in your life. And you will produce the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control as a natural result of being connected to the vine. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. So if we are connected and if you abide in me, that's, that's his message to us in John's gospel, abiding in him and growing and being enriched in him. And, and in that process, then, we will naturally produce the fruit of the Spirit. Let's take a look at chapter 6. Uh, the ending of chapter 6 is kind of his goodbye. So um, it's the first part, primarily, that we need to look at before we're dismissed tonight. i got a few more minutes. He says in chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Now, this is a beautiful segue here because he gets through talking about acts of the sinful nature and, you know, whoever practices those uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's very strong, and and it's a strong exhortation, as it should be. But then he comes to chapter 6, he says, yeah, but if somebody has fallen into sin, you who are spiritual should restore him. So he talks about restoration. So it's this other beautiful side of grace. It's not just hammering us about don't do this and don't do that. There's this wonderful, beautiful part here about grace. Now, the difference between the earlier section about the acts of the sinful nature and chapter 6 is that this is in reference to someone who has one of those occasional lapses. And we all will. To some degree, on the acts of the sinful nature, we will all have some lapses every now and again. Versus someone who just continually, habitually, and I don't care, and that's, that's that person in the earlier section of chapter 5. Chapter 6, what happens when somebody you know or love, a brother or sister in the church, they have a moral failing, or they violate some other act of the sinful nature? What are we to do? Well, Paul puts the burden on those who think that they're spiritual and mature. It is those of you who are spiritual should restore them. But do it gently. Why? Lest you too be tempted. In other words, if the process of restoration is because I'm better than you and I'm more spiritual than you and I would never do what you did, but I'll help you, you better be careful or you're going to fall. So it needs to be done gently with a spirit of meekness because given the right circumstances, I believe this, some of you might disagree. I heard this years ago and it took me a long time to process this, but I've come to agree. Given the right circumstances, the right conditions, the right, you know, arrangement of events, we are capable of committing any sin. And you should never think that you're above another person because of their sin. You should always look at yourself and say that old saying there, but by the grace of God go I. Because only in that spirit of gentleness and meekness will you ever be effective in helping to restore someone. And because it's done in a spirit of meekness and humility instead of pride will go a long way to keeping yourself from falling in a similar way. Now, I heard years ago, and uh, those of you who, you know, remember this from the late 80s, some of you weren't even born, but you remember when, when Jim Baker and the whole PTL scandal and that whole mess, right? And I remember watching television and watching that whole thing when, when Jim Baker, you know, and, and his sexual sin and then, you know, later the, the um, uh, mishandling of funds and all this stuff and landed him in jail and I remember as soon as that story broke, another TV evangelist, Jimmy Swaggart, got on television. And I can remember the phrase. I quote him word for word. I remember him saying about Jim Baker, 
quote, we must purge the cancer from among us. And I remember watching him, and I thought to myself, that kind of pride and that kind of haughtiness, that dude's in trouble. Because he should have said something like, Jim Baker fell, and as part of the body of Christ, we should ache for him, we should hurt for him, and we should do what we can to help restore him and, and help his family. And, and I was hoping and longing for something like that. Instead, he stood up in front of national television and said, we need to purge that cancer from among us. And of course, then it was revealed shortly thereafter that even when he was saying that thing, that Jimmy Swaggart himself was seeing prostitutes, that he later had to admit and resign from his church. And look, that example stands out to me when I, when I think about this verse, because this was violated, and that's the result. So all of us should consider ourselves capable of any sin, and if you do, then you'll be able to look with mercy on someone else who has committed a sin and do your part in a spirit of humility and gentleness to help restore them. Paul says, if someone else is caught in a sin, you or spiritual should restore him or her. It's just a generic term. Gently watch yourself or you also may be tempted. And then he says, verse 2, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. See, that's the whole pride thing. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself, not the kind of haughty pride, but then you can feel like you're on the right track and, okay, you've, self-assessment and that kind of a thing, without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Now, I want to compare that last phrase with the phrase earlier in verse 2. Notice how verse 2 started, carry each other's burdens. But the end of verse 5 says, for each one should carry his own load. Which is it? Are you supposed to carry someone else's burdens or are you supposed to carry your own? The answer is yes. You're supposed to carry each other's burdens, however you can come alongside and help someone. But you're also to do your part. You know, you're not to be just dependent on somebody else to come along and help you. You're also to do your part, carry your own load, but also be cognizant of other people's difficulties and their burdens and thereby the body of Christ sharing with each other, carrying each other, helping each other, but also doing our own part. He says in verse 6, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. This is a special verse to me. Because I'd love to hear, you know, I mean, I'm generally one of the instructors here at Cornerstone as a teacher and uh, from the pulpit. And so whenever I, I hear from people who have received, you know, the good things that God is doing, it, it blesses me. And I'm, I'm just going to, I know we're just about out of time, but I want to read the, I actually got this letter yesterday in the mail. And I love, these letters are just like, oh, the Lord is so good. Oh, thank you. You know, blesses me. I don't share this to like, hey, look at me. I share this because of what God is doing in the lives of people. But I, I don't always get the nice ones. <laughs> there's some, there's some times, you know, I mean, every pastor gets his share of, of some hate mail and stuff. And uh, a lot of times, you know, the real hate mail is all, often unsigned. And I learned from Pastor Chuck, my pastor, years ago. He, he, he has said publicly, if ever I get a critical complaining letter that is unsigned, I put it in the shredder. Because I don't even read it. So I took his advice years ago. So if some of you have sent me letters you didn't sign, it just went in the shredder. I love that sound. <laughs> you know. But otherwise, if you leave a name and a number, maybe we can get back to you because maybe we can say, hey, you know, you're right, we're sorry, or maybe we can help you understand a little bit other perspective that maybe you didn't have. But you know what? I got this letter from a woman in the state pen in Georgia because she listens to uh, our broadcast 
on Freedom Radio FM. Now, you know, I've never even mentioned, and you can go on our website and tell, but we just don't talk about this kind of thing. And I've had people come to me and say, why don't you tell us this stuff? Well, I just don't like talking about it. But we actually have a radio broadcast in 26 days. We just went on uh, WAVA a couple of months ago, and every single time we've gone on a station, they've contacted us. We've never pursued this. In fact, even with, with WAVA, uh, we have some big shoes to fill because for 23 years, um, Lon Solomon had that spot, and then they decided to do things differently, and so Wava called us. But this lady, the only radio station they can get at Pulaski State Prison in Hawkinsville, Georgia, is Freedom Radio FM. And so she listens to my broadcast, and, and she wrote, I'll just skip through a lot of it, but she, she says, um, as I've been following along with your teachings, the Lord has spoken so many things to me. She said, Uh, Every time I have the opportunity, your teaching is so welcome. Thank you again, my brother, for teaching the whole counsel of God without compromise. Please be encouraged that the broadcast is, in fact, making a difference to at least one of the least of these. Know that you are always in my prayers as I thank God on every remembrance of you. Be blessed. And so it's because, yeah, praise the Lord for that. So... I, I like Galatians 6, 6 because I like to read stuff like this. But it's also, you know, honestly, uh, in part because of your financial faithfulness that allows us to be on radio across the country. And so I get letters like that that always bless me and just wanted to share with you that God is making a difference outside of the four walls of our church. And I'm thankful for the online live streaming and radio and any way that we can get the gospel out and the tools that God uses today to advance the kingdom. Let's finish up the chapter. Verse 7, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Right? We've all experienced that. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of the believers. He says in verse 11, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. It's probably an indication of his eye condition, so he's writing in large letters. It's hard for him to see. He says, those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. You know, Jesus plus. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, because he was often beaten. You see, he had scars. He says, the grace, the grace the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the book of Galatians together. 
Did you know that you can download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way, you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to meet you in person at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, too. Stop in for a service this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m., or join us for our Bible study and fellowship on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pastor Gary would love to shake your hand and answer any questions you may have about the study, about Cornerstone Chapel, or about how you can have a relationship with God. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can listen to additional teachings from this study or read accompanying resources on our site as well. Just look under the Teachings tab. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Galatians right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know 